Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone, a little bit uh, late than never, as they say, having a little technical thing here, but it's probably Mercury in retrograde. We'll blame it on that, or uh, let's see, or the Russians, or inflation, or credit cards, or COVID, or monkeypox. Take your pick. Fred Jashevsky is here. It is the real world of money. U.S. Coin Capital is his company. If you'd like to join us, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Fred is a new... He's one of those guys that collects gold and silver coins. (laughs) What's the correct way you say it, Fred? A numismatist. Numismatist. I knew that. I knew that. Fred's been one of those for a long time. Before that, he was in college, and then he got out and became a numismatist with uh, with our good friend Andrew Goss, uh, who uh, left us a few years back. And his company now is U.S. Coin Capital. Used to be SDL, but you guys, when Andy went to heaven, you guys regrouped, right, Freddie? You guys regrouped, refocused, re. Well, yeah, started a brand new company. Um SDL had a great long-term history, and unfortunately, we couldn't continue that company. But you know, Andy's yeah. Andy's passing was something uh, just so unexpected. Yeah, he had a lot of nerve, man, cutting out like that. Just a lot of nerve. I talked to him all the time, said, "What do you, what do you, what do you think?" But I'm sure he's having a good time wherever he is. Well, Freddie, um, we talk on the first Monday or the first Wednesday of every month. That would be today, June first. So I was thinking about, we, we go over some of the basics. Uh, we have a lot of new listeners all the time about this thing called monetary history and money. So if I understand it, and you, you work with me here and help me out. So the two levers that the people on computers at the Fed, New York Fed, and also the uh, Federal Reserve Board, uh, are there levers quantitative easing where they can create money at the Fed and buy stuff, right? Mortgage-backed securities, whatever. Whatever they want to buy. They call, they call that quantitative easing, correct? Well, quantitative easing is a little bit more than merely uh, asset purchases. Huh. So it's a second step, a little bit more aggressive, uh, and it's generally utilized when lowering interest rates didn't suffice. So traditionally, quantitative easing is a tool that they don't like to reach into the bag to pull out uh, because it's a, uh, a blunt instrument. You know, it's not sharp and precise. It's rather blunt. So, you know, it's like using a hammer to, to kill a fly. Yeah. Well, how do they uh, quantitative ease? Table. How do they quantitative ease if they don't if they don't buy a mortgage-backed security or some other? Or, or, uh, well, they don't. That, that's effectively but you what said they're they, doing. But you so said they do it twice. They have the, the effect of that is a quantitative easing is it targeted purchases, you know, usually, for example, the long end of the maturity scale of the bond market. Okay. So the effort of quantitative easing, the intent, is to try to lower interest rates. And the way you can do that mechanically is either you can drop that Fed funds and the discount rates supported uh, by the banks so that rates across the board are lowered. And if that doesn't suffice, the Fed can actually purchase the bonds that are being sold or mortgage securities, things that have long maturities. 
And if they focus their efforts on purchasing the things that have the longer end maturity, then what's left for everybody else to gobble up are shorter term securities that usually pay lower interest. Gotcha. Okay. You know, the longer that you're willing to hold a bond, the higher the yield that bond will pay. Uh, because again, you're locked into a much longer time frame. So, you know, a 10 year will pay 10, 2.9%, a 30 year might pay 3.3%. So effectively, the quantitative easing is an effort by the Federal Reserve uh, to take off of the market anything that pays any higher interest rates so that what they're left in the open market are the lower interest rate uh, assets. And this sort of helps curtail rates as a whole from climbing oh and let's see i see if they're taking the uh, okay yeah i kind of get that i think yeah so if they're taking fred the more long-term interest higher off the table that that um that keeps that only leaves for everybody else the short, those you know yeah, lower rates one or two percent so it effectively yeah. creates a kind of an economic environment where the only thing available to you and i are lower paying yields. And that generally has the same effect as lowering rates. It kind of keeps overall rates across the board from climbing too high because there's nothing to compete with it. In, in other words, if, if the banks had to pay more or you know, if something needed to compete with a higher paying yield, uh, there would be more demand at that end of the scale. So in a desperate effort to move the economy forward, when the Fed found that uh, merely dropping rates the way it normally does by dropping the Fed funds and discount rate, when that wasn't sufficient, uh, they went on to quantitative easing. But then they also subsequently went on to add mortgage securities and, and other investments uh, assets to try to purchase everything that they could uh, with any kind of yield, not only to draw that off of the open market, but also to push this money into the economy, you know, provide the liquidity. Yeah, but but. If I wanted to go in and buy a a million dollars worth of uh, long term thirty year, I could do that, right? I mean, they'd be there for me if yes. I wanted to. Okay. Yes, you can. Okay, so it's not like they take everything; they don't take it all. Well, again, all they're trying to do is curtail uh, the overall environment. They're not going to buy every single bond that's available, but obviously, they've accumulated one monster size amount. I mean, what are we looking at now? Uh, you know, $9 trillion on the Fed's uh, balance sheet. And, you know, they've gotten to the point where they've deemed that that is so unwieldy that, you know, they're desperate to try to unwind it. And they're trying to come up with a plan, you know, to do so without interfering in the economy, uh, which has become interesting in the last couple of weeks. You remember the last few times that we talked, uh, I was beginning to get concerned about what was going to happen with mortgage rates in the real estate market when the Fed reversed its processes and started, instead of hammering lower interest rates as a normal market, to reverse that and start having interest rates climb. Well, you know, if you've watched what's been happening, uh, the mortgage market has really started to experience a shift. And I think, I know this is rather definitive, but I think we're peaking at the real estate uh, yeah, market. Feels like I mean, demand is still growing, but I think the volume of available real estate is going to increase because numerous people now are being priced out of properties that they wanted to buy two months ago because now that rates have gone up, those mortgage payments have increased to the point where it's beyond their financial ability to pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're already seeing uh, reports, uh, Freddie, from around the country, as you probably have seen as well, 
where things have topped out. Uh, even places that were really hot on Montana, North Dakota, these places, they're already lowering. Uh, you know, yeah, well, prices. it's inevitable that it's going to slow down. I mean, once gotcha, rates right? go up and those mortgage payments increase four or $500 a month, you're going to change the environment. You know, I, I, I find myself thinking of, uh, you know, Newton's laws of motion, right? His three laws of motion. So, <laughs> you know, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. That's number one. Number two is the the, the force of an object is its mass times its its rate of acceleration. You know, how fast is it moving and how heavy is it? But the third one, where for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, I think this is what we're experiencing economically now. We are doing things and we're now getting that, that natural reaction. So we've printed a ton of money to solve a problem. Now the reaction that we're experiencing is a higher inflation rate. And, you know, the poor millennials, I think about these people, like, you know, they grew up and, you know, after 2008, they had the worst market crash ever experienced in United States history since the Great Depression, you know, something that most Americans didn't live through. Following that, they had a couple good years, and then we have a pandemic, and then we have inflation. So now they're experiencing, you know, a whole different economy that, you know, they've never quite gone through any stable economic environment except for a few years between 2008 and 2012 uh they had to adjust to an ever-changing environment and people have been talking about you know they've asked for raises in salary so they get a raise in salary and think okay well we got a five percent raise or a six percent raise and then they look at their grocery bill well the grocery bill went up 12 or 18 percent so suddenly, you know, there's the reaction is, is that, yeah, you got a raise, but it didn't compensate for the increased cost sure, you're experiencing. Yeah. So it sort of negated itself. It, it's an equal and opposite reaction. We're back to square zero. In fact, they're probably even having gotten a raise left worse off than they were beforehand. So when we talk about, you know, the diff- all the money printing, it's been huge. But um, this cannot all be blamed on this administration, right, Fred? I mean... Uh, Trump was in on the deal of l- borrowing a lot of money as well, right? And it started a long time ago, did it not? Well, sure. I mean, we've been playing a kind of a game with every administration, and it's simply a matter of the choice. So, you know, uh, I will harken back to the old days. So when I say Republican and Democrat, they've, they've sort of morphed. They're not like what they used to be 20 or 30 years ago. but. Right. You know, the platform traditionally for Republicans was fiscal responsibility. So they didn't do a lot of public giveaways of money. You know, they try to curtail government spending and and reduce the size of government. This was the theory that Republicans worked on. And, you know, Democrats were more aligned to a a big tax break or, you know, to the public or, you know, giveaways in, in terms of putting money out into the hands of the public. So every time we have a new administration, they make their choice of the lesser of the evils, you know, because where are we, Patrick? I mean, we can't do everything. We can't lower government spending and decrease the amount of revenue that the government brings in and also simultaneously, you know, give out checks to everybody in America for every economic problem. You can't cut services and yet, you know, increase spending to do things like infrastructure. You can't do all these things simultaneously. So... Every administration has had to make choices of, you know, where they're going to place the cut, where they're going to place the knife, and what part of the body are they going to go after? Are they going to take a leg or an arm or, you know, cut the head off? What are they going to do? So during the Trump administration, 
the methods of choice at that point were to move this economy forward, which remember, before Trump took office, we were really coming into a rather heavy recessionary economic environment. It was getting pretty stagnant. We were getting very limited growth, in fact, probably negative growth. You know, the GDP was slowing down. A lot of people were out of work. And there were expectations during Obama's administration that, you know, we would never see a high employment rate again. It was just as if it were a thing of the past that was gone historically. And Trump came into office and decided that he could jumpstart the economy by making massive tax cuts to corporations, particularly, and a lot of wealthy people. And he felt that by stimulating the corporate side of the economy, that everything would move forward, you know, and we would get economic growth. Uh, at the cost of blowing out massive government deficits. And that was the choice that they made. Now, when the Democrats came in with the uh, with the Biden administration, I mean, they've been doling out money at an incredible pace. You know, we've had the, the small business loans, the PPT loans. We've had the uh, economic stimulus checks that went out. So their decision was instead of cutting corporate expenses to hopefully grow an economy by making it better for the corporations, they directly put money into the hands of the public. You know, both methods had an impact. Mm -hmm. Both methods have a cost and effect. So cause and effect. And, you know, here we are again now feeling the impact of what happens when you print 40% more money than you had in the economy a couple of years ago. You're going to get a massive inflation problem that you now have to address. So, um, uh, now all we hear about is the idea that how many interest rates are there going to be, interest rate hikes, right, are there going to be, and then how big will they be? This is the kind of yeah. stuff you read about, right? That's the debate. No. That's the debate now. Yeah, now what are you gonna, what are you gonna, obviously, it's not a question of if anymore. Now it's just a question of how much. And I think most of the Fed governors uh, that, that have spoken out in the past couple of months are kind of aligning with the idea of a half a point per rate hike now, as opposed to a quarter point is going to become the standard. I think that's what we're going to see going forward. But there's no reason to expect, is there, or you tell me if, if this is not correct, that even a bunch of in interest rates uh, a la the 70s, that is going to slow uh, prices from rising like it's going on now. That's not going to change anything, really, is it? Well, it will eventually, because what eventually, will it would take if a while, though. you can slow the economy's right? growth down enough, uh, you can definitely reduce price increases. You know, price increases come from a number of variables, uh, a lot of it has to do with the amount of money in circulation. Obviously, it's a supply and demand characteristic. We've also been, you know, coupled with additional problems, not only inflationary created problems, but simultaneously we have had a supply chain issue. And I think everybody's well aware of that problem now. If right. you try to order anything, even off of, you know, the most convenient resource on earth, like Amazon, uh, even they are experiencing delays in shipping things that normally would take you know, a third of the time that they take now. And those kinds of problems exacerbated price increases. You know, that is generally followed then by the wage pressures. You know, like we talked about earlier, the, the person who is working, watching his grocery bills go up or his mortgage payments go up or his cost of living go up, is probably going to demand from his business uh, a higher salary in order to compensate for the problem. So if we can slow the economy down one way or the other, and 
rising interest rates is definitely a productive method of doing that we can curtail some of the rash uh, the reasons why prices are increasing so it can have an impact uh the problem however is that you don't want to go too far in that process because if you over tighten you know it's like stripping a bolt if, if you do it too much raise rates too high not only will you accomplish what you were trying to do which was to slow the economy down but you may overdo it and choke the economy into some sort of recession or a stagflation environment and that becomes very problematic because the only way to resolve that is to reverse what you just done uh, again go back to lowering rates to move the economy forward so this is a very strange tightrope that the fed has yeah. had to try to uh, maneuver the past few months and it is not having a lot of success i mean look at the volatility that has started to happen in the stock market in the past few months. It's been outrageous. But GDP is not really banging along. I mean, the economy is not that great. Isn't this a classic stagflation where it means, you know, nothing's good is happening, but we have inflation just like the 70s. Isn't that, isn't that what's going on? Uh, I'm struggling to hear you, Patrick, but yeah. I think I got you. So, yes, this is okay. a classic... You know, stagflation will occur if you stall the economy, but continue to see price increases. And that may happen for a while. Hmm. Uh, if that does, again, it's extremely problematic. Now, imagine all of this occurring and the Fed deciding at the same time, not, you know, as if this were not enough on the plate, we're going to throw a bowling ball on top of the plate by saying we're going to try to reduce the size of our balance sheet. And they've suggested they want to reduce it. You know, they're letting about $17 billion worth of maturities uh, come to maturity every month now. They've stopped buying mortgage bonds back in March, which, again, is having an impact on the real estate market and the mortgage market. And the Fed is going to let about $17 billion worth of the debt that it holds in securities mature without reinvesting the money. It wants to up that to about $35 billion by September and it suggests that it wants to get aggressive and that up to $50 billion a month off of its balance sheet. Pretty, well, with um, $9 trillion on the balance sheet, if it wants to reduce it by the half that it's added, how many months does it take? Yeah. Fred, $50, billion, $50 billion a month. I mean, we're probably, talking about yeah. a long period of time, four years. Probably nothing you can do to right now, but uh, your internet is, keeps freezing up your picture. So I thought oh, we, I thought we okay. had some good speeds going on. No, no, what happened? Well, I've got the best available in the neighborhood. Really? Well, yeah, it's, it's it needs to be more. It just keeps freezing up on on you. I checked my speeds; mine are fine. So it's got to be on your end. Um, I uh, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, <clears throat> you're on hardware though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, with all this, um, with all this out there, these dollars out there swimming around, looking at things, how is the do dollar still staying so strong? What is it, one hundred two? Yeah, foreign investors, foreign investors. So like the European zone, the eurozone is experiencing about eight point one percent inflation as of now. Hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the cost of the invasion in Russia. 
A lot of it has to do with sanctions that the Euro banks have established. You know, they're trying to prevent some of the sales of crude oil coming out of Russia or um, they're stopping insurers from covering cargo ships or oil sales, uh, all to put pressure on on Russia to fight back this Ukraine invasion. But these things are coming at a cost in the European markets. And, you know, the Eurozone at 8.1% inflation is experiencing a rather significant stiff problem. And as bad as things may be domestically within the United States, and we can certainly, you know, lay that out, and it's pretty clear we have some fundamental problems here, that things are so much worse in Europe and in Asia, where the economies in China have, have really struggled. They're slowing down dramatically, and they've got, of course, another COVID around that they're dealing with. So things have gotten even worse there. And what's happening is by default, a lot of foreign money is coming into the U.S. Hmm. Uh, because we look better than Europe and Asia. And although we don't look great, uh, again, it's it's the old cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry is the best metaphor. It, it really is. We are a stinky shirt. You know, we desperately need to go through the wash cycle. Hmm. But unfortunately, uh, we don't have time for that at the moment. And what's happening is, is that you know, we've got to pick clothes to wear today and we don't have clean ones to pick from. So yeah. we sniff through the dirty laundry and we say, OK, here's the best of my dirty shirts. That would be the U.S. dollar. So by default, European money and Asian money has been coming into the U.S., uh, they feel there's more stability here because the government in the United States does have a history of maintaining its debt obligations. You know, it doesn't default on its debt. But we are creating some interesting problems. Uh, some of the Europeans and Asians that are holding Russian debt are requiring that Russia pay that debt back in U.S. dollars. They're not accepting rubles. So the U.S. is also getting pressure from, from Europe and Asia to sort of remove some of the sanctions on russia so that they can get paid they can pay their money it's yeah. becoming a real real problem it is a problem it is a problem uh, yeah how how much do your political convictions stand up when money comes into play you know would you rather get paid or stand to your political convictions it's becoming a, a choice that they're going to have to make and uh seems to be that they're leaning toward relaxing some of the sanctions to make sure our partners around the world get paid but that's why the dollar has been rallying and you know the dollar and gold and silver have always had an inverse mm -hmm. relationship so the stronger the dollar uh, the more pressure downward there is on both precious metals gold and silver particularly and gold and silver have been not only holding up but they're still fighting their way up uh, even under this massive increase in the value of the dollar which is sort of an indicator of two things one a lot of people are not buying the value in the dollar's strength as being something that's going to survive for very long. And the other thing is, is that people are, are recognizing why the dollar is strong is not because things domestically have gotten any better or that it means that it's a good time to stockpile dollars for the next five years because it is not. Uh, and yet, you know, the precious metals are doing quite well. In fact, the supply and demand characteristics have gotten rather interesting. We've seen consistent and i mean month after month after month increases in the premiums that we have to pay to find physical silver coins pre-1965 hmm. even as the price of silver dropped from 25 down into the 21 dollar range which is what 15 percent of its market price 
the cost of coins went up because there's still a physical shortage and since 1964 they stopped producing these things and that availability of that fixed supply is becoming a bit problematic especially if you continue to divide it by the amount of money that exists in the world yeah wow so you've actually seen the prices go up and the and the, the value of the silver that's crazy um are those uh, talk about how people can get some of those from your company u.s coin capital these are pre-1964 what dimes quarters half quarters right dimes, yeah, quarters. dimes quarters or half dollars half um dollars. all the traditional change in the united states was you minted out of silver up through 1964 you know in the 1790s we established the 15 to 1 relationship between an ounce of gold and an ounce of silver we try to maintain that we're right now at about 83 to 1 wow. um but interestingly we maintained silver coins in the united states from the 1790s hmm. through 1964 we were still producing money out of real silver and then by 1964 the problem was it was costing about a dollar 20 to make a dime uh, about i'm sorry about 12 cents to make a dime and the 12 cents worth of metal content would force people to you know melt the dime for the value of the metal in it because it exceeded the face value and that obviously doesn't work in an economy you can't produce an item of currency where its cost is higher than the face value because that creates a fundamental flaw and a one direction market environment where people will simply melt the coin for the metal so we stopped producing silver coins in 1964 now, since then, we've been able to produce coins that cost very little because they're made out of, you know, trace metals Whatever. and non, yeah. uh, non-precious type metals. And we continue to crank these things out. So the prevailing value of silver coins continues to kind of grow. Um, I remember a few months ago, we had found a chart. It was five silver quarters in 1964 which was you know a dollar 25 in silver coins in 1964 that was the minimum wage wow dollar 25 that was a minimum and if wage. you took five <laughs> silver quarters today huh. and just simply melted them down and just e- even though they have a value way beyond that today just the melt value alone would put a, an average wage at over 21 dollars really? an hour wow. so the purchasing power of, of silver has really stood up to the test of time and I firmly believe that if people are thinking about, you know, the next five years, I, I don't know how anybody can imagine if they think about this sort of stuff, that the dollar as we know it would still buy the same amount of goods and services in five years at the rate at which we printed money the past few years. Once that takes hold through the economy, you know, it's going to devastate the purchasing power of money and subsequently increase the value of these pre-65 silver coins. So we sell them in various uh, quantities. There's an expression in our industry, uh, and it's referred to as a bag. And, and people say, well, I have a bag of coins. Sometimes they're literally talking about a physical you know, bag that they hold. But by definition, the bag of silver coins is $1,000 in face value. Face value. That was a full bag. Mm-hmm. Face So that would be the equivalent value. of you know, 2,000 half dollars or 4,000 quarters. Hmm. or 10,000 dimes. That's a bag of silver coins. Now, that's 52 pounds hmm. of silver. What's that bad boy cost today, about your, our cost? Uh, about $26,000. Whoa, 
That's pretty fun. That's a full bag. But and um, we were selling full bags just a few years ago, you know, not long ago, around 28 to 2012, in the four to $5,000 per bag price range. Wow. Really? So they have considerably increased in price. Now, you can also purchase smaller quantities. You don't have to buy a full bag. You know, you can do a half a bag, a quarter bag, or effectively what we've uh, been able to do with our customers is let them pick any dollar range you know, from $1,000 on up to $100 million. And we can simply squeeze in as many of these silver coins as possible for whatever amount of money hmm. they happen to have available. And this way, people can build their stockpile over a period of time, which I think is the best way to do that. What do you What do you think the advantage is of doing it this way, Freddie, with the uh, currency silver like we, we were just talking about and just buying a silver bar like an ounce bar and you know from the mint or whatever these different places is there advantage to, well, you to know, doing what I'm, you're I'm doing a big fan of any, any physical asset over paper so you know a silver bar is far better than a paper dollar <laughs> but between silver bars and and the pre-65 coins there are i would say two distinct advantages uh in the coins the first one to me the most critical is that there's already a fixed supply of the 64 and earlier coins and we know that to be a fact. They cannot go back in time. They cannot strike any more of these things. So whatever is floating around today in 2022 uh, is all that will remain for the future of mankind. We are done. We've been done since 1964. And since they can never make any more of them, we can experience exactly the kind of thing that we've seen the past several months, which is a price premium growth even if the underlying metal price is stagnant. So that's the first advantage. Uh, the second one, which is very important to a lot of people, is the government regulations are completely different when it comes to coins minted within the United States that are legal U.S. currency and bullion, which are the products made merely of the metal, like the bars and the round things and you know pictures of Donald Trump on a coin, you know things that are not legal currency but are simply made of metal. All of that product, which we call bullion, and again, that includes the, you know, the American Eagles or the squares or the bars, the 100-ounce bars, the 1,000-ounce bars, all those bullion products are federally regulated, which means that we don't have financial privacy. They're, they're regulated like most other commodities. If a seller comes to me with a 100-ounce bar, 1,000-ounce bar of silver, I am required by federal law to follow any money anti-money laundering rules hmm. which means i need to know my customer to know that the purchase they made of that silver bar came from a legitimate resource if it turns out that was not the case i have facilitated in money laundering and i'm subject to federal fines what a bad guy you are you money launderer you <laughs> yeah <laughs> i also have to report the sale by taking that person's social security number and I have to file what's called the 1099B, which is a, a, a notice to the IRS that I have acquired from, let's say you, uh, a quantity of a reported commodity. And I file a form indicating the amount I wrote the check for, wow. which is all going to show up as income on your tax return unless you have a cost basis you can prove and then you can subtract the difference between your cost basis and right. what you sold it for and only that difference would be taxable. Gotcha. Yeah. So all of these federal regulations apply within the bullion market to the point I find it rather aggravating as a person trying to conduct commerce within the United States 
I mean, I understand as a business owner, I'm required to file tax returns and file forms and, you know, payroll taxes and all the things that I have to do and business licenses and all the exorbitant fees that come with owning a business. But when it comes to having to take private information from customers and provide it to government agencies, I, you know, I just, I just find the whole notion kind of abhorrent, but I am required to do it. So I try to avoid the bullion and strictly recommend that people accumulate their silver and their gold in the form of, you know, the actual coins so that we don't have to deal with this nonsense. And they treat you like an adult. You sell me $100,000 worth of silver coins. I write you the check. You still have that same obligation to report the gains that you made. Sure. But sure. I don't have to file any forms. I don't have to indicate to anybody what has happened. There is no reporting on my end of that transaction. It's up to you as an individual to you know sure. what you're going to do and let's get really uh, uh orwellian 2.0 they did it in 1913 they called in the gold and silver right they could do it again they yeah. could get crazy you know who knows these people are uh so well they if have they the ability did, to do that yeah, they have the ability know, to do it but if they did right? it the idea that would be if you had pre-1964 guys you would be not eligible to do that right that's correct that's cool not subject to that regulation or that confiscation so that's cool you know the way the government looks at it is that they have two fundamental problems one if you added up the value of all the 1964 and earlier coins that have survived you know it's honestly it's it's a big number but it's really small compared to the overall size of the economy and the federal government's budget to the point where it's negligible for them and then the other issue is that they face this quirky problem of this thing called legal tender. Hmm. The status of legal tender is imparted by federal law on U.S. money. Hmm. The intention is that you can't prohibit somebody from spending a quarter uh, if they come from a different state and bring you a federal quarter. You have to accept it in Texas, just like somebody does in New York or California, equally. Yes, sir. By federal law you are prohibited from violating someone's right to spend legal currency. They have a status that they've been granted by the government. That legal tender status creates an interesting problem for the federal government in that, for example, uh, a United States $20 gold piece, which remitted up through 1933, has in it a full ounce of gold and additional value because there's no more of these things being minted either. But at face value, it stands legally as $20. Hmm. So if I had a debt to the IRS of $100, and I said, I have five $20 gold coins, does that pay off my debt? Or do you assign additional value to that $20 gold coin, knowing full well that the ounce of gold it's made of is worth $1,800, $1,900 by itself. The coin is probably worth $2,000, $2,500 in its form. The IRS will tell you it's $20 at face value. It's 20 bucks, baby. So <laughs> if they'll only accept it as $20 in face value when you want to use it for payment, they can't claim that as you own it that it has any other value than that. Otherwise, they'd have to pay you the same amount. So again, this is another quirk that lets them effectively just want to leave this alone. They just don't want to deal with it. They don't it. want to mess with it. So this is part of the reason why we have financial privacy in, in $20 gold coins and silver coins as well. So I wonder if, say if you were holding a $20 gold piece with a value of a million dollars, just for fun, and somehow you had to put down your assets on a piece of paper and swear to it, right? I mean, 
could you could you make the choice of we're using either twenty dollars or a million depending on who was asking the question yep wow yep uh, I know lawyers for example who huh. took twenty dollar gold coins from a customer a uh -huh. client mm -hmm. uh, you know let's say ten thousand dollars worth so at face value they added up the number of coins and said I accepted from my customer you know fifty twenty dollar gold pieces and at twenty dollars a piece this is what I have ten thousand dollars so um, the argument can easily be made that you could do that now depending upon which side of this you <laughs> wanted to take let's say for insurance purposes you don't want to do that yeah. You know, so you want to claim it at whatever value it would take to replace it. And if you had a million dollar coin, let me tell you, uh, you're not replacing it for twenty dollars. Right. You're not replacing it for a hundred thousand dollars. If it's worth a million dollars, it's worth that much because it is excessively rare. And I don't care if you have, you know, who's our new guy, Elon Musk money or Jeff Bezos money. It just doesn't matter. There are things you cannot own if they're not available and they're excessively rare. So. From an insurance standpoint, <laughs> you wouldn't want to do that. But from a legal standpoint, yeah, you, you could effectively uh, argue that you've used legal currency. Interesting. And on the idea of legal tender, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, the IMF, uh, central banks, they're all talking about some kind of a digital Fed coin or Q coin, whatever they're going to call it, e-coin, right? And this will be a digital coin. that, And um, so... But this will not be legal tender, right? So they'll be able to control how much they give you and when you can spend it and all kinds of crazy things. Well, they, for example, can, uh, Congress has the authority to create legal tender status. So it can, for example, say that a U.S. paper dollar is legal tender. It's the reason you can pay off a mortgage in paper money and you don't have to use gold and silver coins. I mean, honestly, if we wanted to get technical, you could argue that anybody who's ever paid off a mortgage did not use gold and silver coins to do so has not really satisfied the mortgage document. Right. Really, yeah. They yeah. really haven't paid off the debt. Mm -hmm. All they've done mm -hmm. is provided an IOU because in the end, the paper money that floats around in the United States today is really an IOU. It's not actually money anymore. And people need to understand the difference. Mm -hmm. If I owed you $1,000 and write you on a piece of paper, Patrick, I owe you $1,000, love Fred, have I paid you back the debt that I have with you? All I've done is provided you with an intermediate uh, you know, commodity that you can hold as value and even borrow against that IOU. So it has some marketable ability depending upon my relative economic strength, how many people would recognize that my IOU is valid. So if you try to use my IOU to pay off your grocer down the street, I don't think he's going to take my IOU. Probably not. He won't even discount my IOU to 50% and say, well, maybe Fred's good for half of this $1,000. He won't accept it at all. So IOUs have limited amount of power depending upon who authorizes them. But the concept of our paper money is that it is backed by, quote, the good faith and credit of the United States government, unquote means that as long as we believe hmm. and here's what it comes down to we have to believe that the government will make good on its debt obligations in order for us to believe and have faith that this paper money we're floating around with actually has value 
Otherwise, you, you know, you can just ask a child, you know, why does this $20 piece of paper have any value? Why does anybody accept it? Why does the grocer take it when you go to use it to buy your food? How is it that we conduct commerce with this money? It's because we have chosen as a society to have a, a common belief, if you will, in the faith of the United States government to make good on its debt obligations. So that IOU in this case, instead of just simply coming from Fred, is coming from your federal government. And as long as you believe that that federal government's viable, then you'll accept that note, that IOU, and you'll take it to the grocer and he'll accept it because he also believes the same uh, fairy tale. Yeah, I understand. This email here, I don't more of a statement than a question. You tell me if it's correct. Uh, tax reporting requirements for metals is for certain quantities and types, not every transaction. Uh, it depends on the state that you're in, but the federal law is bullion transactions are reportable. And the way it works is that as a dealer, uh, at, there's a $50,000 threshold per year combined buying and selling as soon as i cross that threshold every transaction that occurs is reportable is this you think this is what this person is referring to the 50, well i think what they're referring to as an individual okay. uh, that there may be small quantities that people can buy and sell and you know they don't think they have to report that uh, that's really not not correct. true no it's not true as, as yeah. i understand it you know if you bought a, a chair for $25 at a flea market and you sell it at, at a garage sale at your house for $30, it's five bucks that you've made, but you have to report that as income. That's what so they say. So it's not quantity. No, it's not quantity. It's, That's what they the, say. It's huh. the activity and the fact that there is income. All income is reportable. And income is the the difference between the cost of the product and its sale price. That's, you know, the income is the profit or gain severed from the original capital is the is the legal definition of income and, yeah. and all income is reportable. Yeah. 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 I mean, according to Title 26, like you say, a car or a couch, you're supposed to. Nobody does on the couch or stuff like that because they just don't do it. Sure. But, but but you're supposed to. You're supposed right. To. Who's going to check? I yeah, mean, you who's, know, yeah, who's going to come back and say, hey, wait, we have a record from the <laughs> flea market that you bought that for 20. And, you know, we have a record from the guy that bought it at your garage sale. No. So, you know, people know that there's uh, limitations to what they're going to pursue. Obviously, they have bigger fish to fry. Sure. Uh, yeah. But my understanding is, is that it, it's not necessarily a matter of uh, volume. It's just a matter of what the transaction is. Yeah. It's uh, the same thing with income tax. You know, it's not how much you make. It's the source. Right, that look, creates looking the more and more at this whole Ukraine thing and NATO and uh, Russia and what Russia is doing now, selling their oil for rubles and uh, Iran to India and China, it almost seems like a lot of these international agreements, people are just starting to just not even say it doesn't matter. You know, we don't care. You know, we're, we're just going to do what we need to do to survive, which is what Putin's doing, you know. Good, bad, or indifferent. He's he's just going to do what he needs to survive. And uh, but boy, if we start getting away from the international rule of law, we could get into some deep doo doo, right? It could get messy out there. Really, well, sure. Yeah. You know, and again, I, I find it's going to be an interesting balance point between how far can we push sanctions on Russia uh, to the point where it begins to hurt our allies, 
and that you know at one point this has become a little problematic so yeah we're solving a problem by squeezing putin but then we're not allowing our partners to get paid in dollars because we're preventing him from being able to raise dollars to pay off his debts so it's going to be interesting but, um, but are we you know, really solving a problem though are we really he's doing fine He's selling his oil wherever well, he wants to. How uh, the ruble is is, is a pre-war uh, value. I mean, he, he's. I, I don't. I don't see him uh, panicking. You know. I, I think it's created some problems domestically. You know, I okay. know they're experiencing more inflation in Russia than they would have otherwise. Sure. Uh, I know that the sanctions and being able to move money around the world more readily through the banking system has been problematic. Uh, I know it has forced them to sell more oil than maybe they wanted or sell it cheaper than they would have wanted to. But you're right that, you know, he has had the ability to sustain a lot of these punches that we've thrown uh, by having some defenses that he has. And again, I think this is a option of, let's say, uh, boots on the ground versus economic sanctions. You're certainly politically going to try to do uh, the latter first because you'd rather not have to put you know american lives at risk if you can fight the battle with economic sanctions and have some success um you know you might just apply enough pressure to make a change now you know putin doesn't seem to be awfully troubled by it it's probably really hard to know how much of an impact this has had as for an average russian you know going about their daily life but i have a feeling it's been more problematic than you'd imagine. Probably. And I'm sure if this were any other country, there would be much more of an outcry coming from the public. You know, Russia tends to squash um, you know, political oppression pretty quickly. Just like everywhere else. You know, you're, they're not any different. One way or the and, other. And I know. think, but I think they could run out of sanctions before he runs out of bombs. It doesn't look like he's going to stop. You know, he's concerned uh, about You could be right. Yeah, you know, he the the he, sanctions may play out and, and not have the impact, and yeah. we may run out of options to, you know, use economic force, and that would really bring us back to the chalkboard and say, okay, what's what what's option B? What are you going to do? You know, do we actually have to go ahead and, you know, do... Meanwhile, of course, we are selling arms now to... Come on. Uh, ...to Ukraine to help them fight back, so... You know, not only selling arms, but we just came with what a forty billion dollar deal. You know, God knows where that money yep. goes. You know, you know where does that end up? Yeah, we seem to be solving a lot of problems by creating money, and <laughs> I, you know, I, I I find this so problematic. It, it's just cheating. You think it's all it's doing? You know, we're, we're really cheating the game, and yeah. it's the public that gets screwed. I know. We you know, pay imagine, for all this. Imagine right? playing the game of Monopoly if somebody was the banker and. You know, while you weren't looking, they kept reaching into the bank pile and kept grabbing, you know, $500 bills and $100 bills and adding it to their pile without anybody else seeing that. You know, yeah. if only one person did that, they would have a distinct advantage. And, <laughs> you know, I find this whole gimmick problematic. And, you know, every time I think about it, I can't help but find myself coming full circle back to the idea of why the founding fathers established the monetary policy that made gold and silver legal currency of the united states and didn't allow for uh either political or you know any kind of force even bankers uh from being able to exhibit any influence on the money that the people had to work to earn you know we don't have a choice you know i, I have very limited options when i go to my supermarket of what i can use to buy my goods i can give them a credit card you know debit card whatever i'm using i can pay with cash i can write them a check 
all of that effectively in one way or the other is utilizing these current Federal Reserve IOUs, and they accept them readily. But there are not a lot of other options available to me. I'm forced into this game. I'm forced to earn my money in this form. I'm forced to have to spend it in that form. And that also means that I'm trying to save money in a form that they are manipulating. I'm working for it. I'm earning it. I'm saving it. And they're changing its value. <laughs> I just don't think that's correct. That's not, not the way that we established this country. This was not supposed to be a variable that the public had to address. There were enough things to worry about, enough problems that we had to experience and, and things we had to work through as a new nation. The last thing we wanted to do was worry about the value of money yeah. that people are. Which is why they did the, uh, let no state make anything other than gold and silver payment of debt, right? That's why right. they did it. This way we eliminated the problem. We just <laughs> took it right off the table. Okay. If you can't manipulate the value of money, or if you could manipulate the value of money, but only visibly, mm, right. that everybody could see it readily, and then you eliminate that as a problem. We could address all the other issues. But now... You know, most of the public is experiencing something, you know, again, this newer generation of Americans, particularly, what are they, the uh, Gen Xers and, Whatever they call and them. the millennials, you know, they're going through an economic environment that's uh, something they've never seen before. Again, you know, they must have felt good for a moment if they got a raise in salary until they compared it to the cost increases of everything that they have to spend money on. Yeah. And this, again, you know, is why I've been thinking about this, these laws of motion, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You cannot print your way out of an economic problem without damaging the wealth of the public. And I think the only compensation for this is for people to accumulate those types of assets that actually become more valuable when if they, the paper money that you float around is worth less. And when they do what they're going to. Tony wants to know, uh, Patrick mentioned the central bank digital currencies. Um, so if the Federal Reserve Bank, Tony says, would do this, how, does, how would they coincide with the dollar? How would they exist with the dollar? With volume. Yeah, I mean, how... Oh, there you are. How, oh. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with this volume. It's weird. How how could what he's asking is could is this central bank digital currency when it does come, if when whatever the term is, exist uh, parallel with the dollar? It's got to right because the dollars are yes. out there. There's like billions of them, or you know, forty five trillion, whatever the number is. Yeah, I, I believe it would be uh, a simultaneous side by side um, uh, system, and then eventually they might wean off of the paper money. You know, which is something that, honestly, the Treasury's been trying to do that for a very long time. Um, they started it even with coins. They try to get people to use, you know, dollar coins instead of paper dollar bills, which is a first step. You know, try to weed people off the idea of uh, using paper money. Uh, they just haven't been successful with that. But, yeah, a digital currency would be interesting. You know, it, it creates a, a couple of interesting problems. Um, some of them are social. Like, for example... Do we want to put that much control in the hands of the government to give us our money? Um, will they play social engineering games at some point because they can? You know, will they turn around and say, you know, we're not going to send you your check this week because of X, Y, or Z? Right. Or, you know, God forbid we have some sort of Orwellian environment where, oh, I'm sorry, you're a Democrat? No, you're not getting money. If you're not a Republican, you're not getting this. Or, you know... Uh, it may not be that direct, but 
influences certainly can take hold. But what also concerns me not only would be that that control if we have digital currencies, but also the supply problem. How much money exists in the economy is the variable that defines the value of the money we currently have. The reason your dollar doesn't buy what it used to, and the reason minimum wages had to go up, is because we've grown the supply of money much faster than the economy. Now, if we have a digital system, how do I know how much money exists? You don't. How do I keep control of that? You know. And how easy is it to expand the supply of money if it comes down to just, yeah, a little, you know, a couple fingertips, touching a computer entry, and then boom. Boom. Yeah. There's money. Yeah. I mean, things are wacky now, you know, with the Federal Reserve able to write checks from a checkbook that has no money in it to the United States government and buy from the government debt that pays interest. You know, uh, that to me is, is bad enough, but we can still count the number of dollars that exist in print, and I think we lose that ability if we go digital. So I'm kind of concerned about that. Um, you know, I think about the future in terms of the social engineering aspect. It seems to me it's inevitable, and I know I'm being, sure. you know, you know they will. conspiracy-minded, you know, no, no, but they, it just you know they will. seems kind of hard for me to imagine that we're going <laughs> to allow that much power and control, and they're not going to take it. So, well, here's that, that yeah, seems less likely to me. Here's a question that I got a question from uh, the other day from a friend of mine, and uh, so so she was asking me about the central bank digital currency, and that she didn't want to get involved with you know the iPhone, and maybe they tell you you have to get a vaccine or whatever the social engineering as you're talking about, and then and I and I said, well, I think you're going to be able to spend dollars for a very long time. There's 45 trillion or so many out there. What are they going to do with them? Is that is that correct that I give her a pretty good answer? I mean, you're going to, this dollar is going to be around for a while, no matter what you might do on the other end, correct, Fred? Yeah, like I said, it's I would to. think that these things would run simultaneous, you know, right. um, together for quite a while. Quite a while. Um, because otherwise, they'd have to figure out a way to get everybody to convert all happen. of their paper money into the digital money. And, and that happen. would be problematic because <laughs> that would mean, you know, all those dollars that people privately have stashed. What are they going to do? You know, do you remember, um, hmm. you know, during like Vietnam War, we used to have military script. Huh. And once in a while, they would expire a, a particular military script. And they'd say, as of next Monday, this script is worthless. You need to exchange it for the new script that's coming out on Monday. Huh. And everybody would line up at a counter at a table and they'd bring in their old script and exchange it for the new script. Well, that worked fine in the military because, you know, very few um, soldiers were stockpiling illegal hordes of old military <laughs> script, you know. If, and if they did, they had to scramble to figure out how to get rid of it really quickly because the new script was going to come out in a week. Well, imagine if you told the American public that all that paper money <laughs> that you have is going to be worthless after January 1st and you have to convert it into this new digital. You have to show up at your bank and, you know, you, you just present the money and we'll credit your check account for the same amount you bring in. Right. No one's going to want to do that. But could could they, I, you know, I guess Congress could do it if they wanted to and say in two years, you got to, you know, the dollar is no longer viable. I mean, wow. you, yeah, what a mess that would be, right? Wow. You think they could do it? Let me tell you something. Any private commerce 
would explode in those circumstances. What do you mean private? People would be scram. Well, anything that you could do that that you could do privately to get rid of that cash you're holding, you do. Oh, you know, you you, you buy motorcycles, guitars, how, whatever you could get with that money. You try to get your hands on it really quickly because it now has become a game of musical chairs. <laughs> You know, and you're going to be sitting there without a chair if you don't get rid of that money quickly. And you don't want to be that last guy standing when the music stops. You don't want to be the guy holding all that paper money when the clock turns and they go, well, yeah, great. You had $10 million in cash. Guess what? It's worthless. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, you'd have 401ks. You, and, and we don't even know what the number is. But if I was on a game show, I'd have to guess money supplies 40 trillion, 45. I don't know. I, you know, in that neighborhood, right? How would you sure. how would you pull all that in into a CB uh, CBDC even in two years? I mean, it'd be, it'd be a, really hard. Be a mess. Uh, be we a mess. talked about a lot of times the um, uh, the rate at which money flows through an economy, right? right? We we talked about that the velocity. You velocity. know how fast does money flow, right? Because sometimes you can have a a supply increase in money and yet not see a lot of inflation. And sometimes it's because there's no velocity. Yeah. There's, the money isn't moving. Right. right. But if you started announcing that paper money was going to be literally worthless after a certain period of time, when we talk about velocity, Watch it out. would explode. I Watch mean, the, the rate at which money moved through the economy, you would see cash coming out of the woodwork, out of every crevice and hole it's ever been stockpiled in since... God only knows when, and all that money now flowing through the economy, inflation would skyrocket be, because uh, of the rapid increase yeah, yeah. In, in the movement, the velocity of money, which has been, mm-hmm. you know, let's say slow and stagnant. So, yeah, this would create a slew of problems. This would have to be done over an extended period of time, and it would have to be done, it'd have to be done slowly. You just couldn't do it overnight. Even like you're talking like ten years or something, rather than even two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. would think. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. But it would take a while too. I mean, the sure. technology, you know, people would have to adjust to it. We're talking about a lot of elderly people um, that would have to get used to a whole different world, and you know, some of them are still struggling with basic credit cards and you know, and, and phones. So it would have to be palatable. It'd have to be easy to do. It'd have to be something people could understand. But I think it would create a, a slew of very interesting problems that uh, I, I, I will be interested to see how it plays out if they try to do it. Before we go, a couple other things. Uh, we mentioned the $40 billion to Ukraine. They did that package, and they're doing more, uh, like 80 or $100 million for this or that. A lot of money. Where does that tell folks where that money comes from? Well, most of the time when we do these things, Congress authorizes the creation of the money. Um, you know, I haven't been in on the meetings, so I can't say that they haven't looked at the budget and said, well, we can cut this and use that money. I seriously doubt that's what they've done. I think what they've done is just like they have in the past few years for everything that's come up, they simply go ahead and authorize through congressional action uh, the issue of capital. So it's created. We're just basically making money out of thin air and distributing it to a, a foreign country for their benefit and purposes. Again, uh, at the detriment of the public in the United States, who now have to experience a little more inflation. But seems to me the current administration has defaulted. You know, as we had talked about at the beginning of the show, different 
um, political parties make different choices of how to deal with the economic problem. None of them are pretty, but this particular administration seems to have taken uh, print money, uh, get it out there directly into the hands of the public as its method of choice. So they're not worried about fiscal responsibility. They seem to have given up on the idea that they're going to control that at all. Yeah. And if they have to create $40 billion to give you know, to Ukraine, they'll simply create the money. Man. Dollar be damned. <clears throat> dollar, dollar be damned. Do you see where they're going to give uh, uh, ten thousand? What is it? Ten thousand dollars to uh, each uh, student loan person. This could be about a couple hundred billion. dollars. That's kind of interesting. So, yeah. who doesn't get paid there now? I, I, don't I know. assume that this debt that we're talking about reducing is by government agencies that made student loans. I mean, I can't imagine they're going to do this to the private sector that no. created student loans. So it has to be the government agencies that are now just going to not get paid. Well, you know, that's all well and good. It just, again, warps the balance sheet a little bit more. And, and like I said, this is the default operation of the current administration. It's uh, throw money at the problem. You know, whether you reduce somebody's debt, you know, if I, if I borrow $10,000 from you, and you said to me, ah, you don't have to repay that debt. Well, I just, you know, I, I now have $10,000 more than I used to. So you're out the money. Uh, I have more money to spend. So, you know, again, it's very interesting that we just simply decide arbitrarily, eh, okay, we won't bring well, in this amount of money now that the government is owed. You know, as if the government had these massive surpluses, you know, not like they needed the money or anything. On these student loans things, I don't know exactly how they work, but if I had to guess, Fred, I guess, I guess these things go through a bank, and the government just um, guarantees the the note or something like that. You think something like that? Sure. Yeah, something like that. It's got to be government agencies that would, in the end, uh, guarantee provide it. that debt because I can't imagine that they're going to tell the banks you can't collect on a loan that you've made. They, they can't do that. It's you know, that, that seems to me be a bit problematic. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking that this is, you know, again, a, a government-sided uh, operation here. You know, it's, it's how do we address the problem? You know, we have people screaming about inflation. You know, we can't control it. You know, Biden wrote an open letter into the Wall Street Journal the other day and laid out his plan to fight inflation. And you know, you huh. read through it and it's like, well, yeah, that's sure. what you think you're going to do. Whatever. You think that's really going to work. It, meanwhile, you, you're going to create $40 billion and give it to Ukraine. You're going to reduce the, the, how much did it come to if you took $10,000 off the student debts? I think, you I think a couple, uh, uh, $200 billion, uh, about two, $200 billion. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just, just, just another $200 Just billion. another $200 billion. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on. And you know where that money comes What's from? What's $100 billion amongst friends? Uh, that's got to be... That's got to be covered by Fed printing, right, at some level, doesn't it? Well, it just means less revenue for the government. So, you know, they'd have to make it up. How are they going to make sure. it up? How are they going to make it up? They have to sell more debt or raise taxes. You know, they're going to have to compensate for it somehow. Because remember, the government is running a deficit and they owe, you know, 31 plus trillion dollars mm. and interest payments are due on a regular basis. And, you know, we're aggressively selling debt every week. Yeah. Can you hear me any better now? About the same. About the same. Uh, Imran, if you're listening, he's trying to fix the sound. He's still, something's not still not right, but we're, we're working on it. Well, we are in a well, break. On my screen, my face is frozen. Your face is, yeah. 
and and so pretty get, get with your people you know your you know have your people get with the internet people and see how, what your upload and download is i'm sure yeah you're, i've you, actually done that recently and every time we do the test you know we get we get decent numbers but like what is it this what? is what they call intermittent issues oh and intermittent no matter what service we've tried around here we my tech guys constantly tell me you have intermittent issues oh okay? really it's weird huh yeah you need about five upload minimum and then the, the download it's not a big deal for us 20 is great yep. get as much as you can i'll dig into it again yeah but uh, you, this last week though i'll have to tell you i've i've noticed a number of stalls in the internet um even like at home watching things like netflix you really? know things that i stream that normally do not lag interesting they don't buffer mm -hmm. you know they just play mm -hmm. this last week or so it's very frequent we've had a lot of buffering issues and these are two different services that are available here on hilton head they're both you know providing the best of what's available for either residential or business but I will look into it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, you guys live on an island. I mean, you know, what, what do you expect? You know, people walking around bathing suits and surfboards. What do you expect? <laughs> Drinking beer? Sandals? Come on. Okay, so we have laid out a little program here that we do once a month on the first Wednesday of how, um, how delicate this system is because years ago we start not using gold and silver. So this is a great uh, lead-in to what you do to close out to you sell gold and silver numismatic coins made at the mint nowhere else. You don't do bricks or coins, anything like that, right? So That's tell correct. folks what I they like can... I like U.S. legal currency. I like the money of the United States. I like our money as a nation. And I think every American should empower themselves with having at least some of it to compensate for these economic issues that we can't control. If we didn't have to worry about the government spending money it didn't have, or you know, if we had stable dollars that retained the same value over time, you know, like the cop that used to tell me if there was no crime, he wouldn't have a job and he'd be happy with that. <laughs> right. You know, if there weren't crime, you wouldn't need cops. Well, if we didn't have a Federal Reserve System and an unbacked dollar, you wouldn't need gold and silver coin dealers to provide a, a wealth protection for people. All you'd have left within this industry would be the collectors who do it just for the fun and joy of it, which is fine. You know, a lot of people enjoy numismatics like other things they like collect stamps, because of the whatever. fun and yeah. enjoyment of rare items. But I look at it as wealth protection, almost an essential thing to have, like you'd have fire insurance on your house. You know, I've said this a thousand times. Why would you own something as valuable as a home without some minimal protection? Is it because, you know, do you expect a fire to burn your house to the ground tomorrow? No. But you don't carry something as valuable as a home without some minimal protection against things you can't control. And in the same respect, if we can't control the value of paper money over time, then people need minimal protection. They need physical gold and silver coins as a hedge. Uh, in fact, I have a little package huh. I put together this week cool. specifically for the listening audience. All right. It includes both gold and silver. Okay. It includes a $20 pre-1933 St. Gaudens gold coin. So those were the $20 gold coins struck between 1907 and 1933. They have been graded and certified in mint state 65 condition. That is on a scale that goes one through 70, where the 60 and better are referred to as mint 
condition, mint which means condition. they never experienced uh, wear. They were never actually used. They simply were stockpiled. Now they have little scratches and contact marks across the surface because of the manufacturing process. You know, you punch a round blank, it pops out of a press, it drops into a barrel, the next coin pops out of the press and lands on top of it, and so on and so on, until thousands of coins are in the barrel, then they're thrown into bags, and then the bags are thrown on the back of a truck, and then the bank of truck is brought over to a bank, and then they're hand rolled. So by the time they hit the first person, they experience an awful lot of nicks and scratches. This is the variance between the MS-60 grade and the MS-69s or so. So the MS-65 are the highest regular available quality of these that are out there. There are some 66s and 7s. They are excessively scarce and five or ten times as much money. So the MS-65 $20 gold coin, and I put together five ms65 silver dollars oh cool and these are the morgans Mm -hmm. minted between 1878 and 1921 so we have five silver dollars all pristine graded ms65 one 20 dollar gold coin also graded ms65 and the package is forty one hundred dollars well that sounds great well that's is that a good deal not a good deal it's a good deal it's a very good deal in fact I was perusing TV. I woke up in the middle of the night last <laughs> night, just happened to flip on my television, and I'm watching one of these, you know, sure. coin shows, if you will. And they were selling MS63 Morgans. Of, uh, it was like $159 a coin, which is kind of nuts, MS63s. So, uh, you know, it's a coin I would sell for $79. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's know, a difference. I, I look at the value that people have to pay to get good quality coins for most of the resources. But on any any way you look at this, this is a really nice way to own uh, a good deal in both gold and silver. It's a nice little mix. Again, it's five silver dollars, all graded and certified, which means each one has been viewed by NGC. Huh. Three separate graders have viewed each coin. They've certified both their authenticity and specific condition, then sealed them into a tamper-proof holder. That's cool. Along with that MS65 $20 gold coin, which again, there are less than 1% of the $20 gold coins that have survived are available in MS-65 condition. So they're scarce, but they don't carry massive price premiums. Oh, what but are the years? $4,100 for the package, it's a great deal. What are the years again on the silver dollars, please? The silver dollars run between 1878 wow. and okay. 1921. 1921. And then they... Technically, they run up from 1878 to 1904 where the production of silver dollars had gotten so large that they actually thought they had enough and didn't mint more of them until 1921 when they realized they'd about run out. So they reissued the coin in 1921. So it's 1878 to 1904, and then we have the, the date of 1921 by itself. Oh, and then, I see. And then the gardens are uh, 19... Uh, uh, anywhere between 1907 and 1932, the 33 date, the last year of issue, there's only one coin known, and that's uh, about a $15 million coin. Oh, that is okay. definitely not included that's in this $4,100 package. But, I, you know, that's a nice thing, $4,100. Then I get people started. And I'll talk about that uh, this month. Can I do it all month long or until next show? Sure, yeah. This is a... Or let me know if you uh, run out or something. Run out yeah. kind of thing, but... Yeah. or price changes shoot me an email if you run out of them but I'll mention it during the month here but between now and then when we talk about your 
your uh, yeah, your company. That. Sure, why not? That's a, that's kind of fun. Four grand, and you get involved with have some nice little coins that are all graded, and you know, put in your underwear drawer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd offered these once before. I had people call up and say, I have three kids. I'll buy a package for each one of the kids, put oh. it away for their future, for yeah. their, you know, their education. Uh, the nice. grandparents are doing it. Um, and a lot of people are doing it with their own capital. Um, right now, I, I do have a maximum of 10 sets per person, only because I want to make sure that there's enough of these available for everybody. To go around. We yeah. may, yeah. And again, this is a uh, while supplies last kind of thing. I I have enough of these to do for a little bit, but cool. At some point, we've had some issues with uh, inventory this year. It's been very interesting. I never know what we're going to have hard times getting. Things that should be relatively easy to get this year have become problematic from time to time. Oh, but that's uh, the fun of dealing with uh, you know rare stuff. It's just uh, I just blame the Russians. It's the Russian problem. That's all. Yeah. Did you see the, the Did you see the last thing, uh, the latest uh, article I saw about uh, the Biden administration is blaming uh, credit card usage for inflation? Now that's their latest one. They keep coming up with new, <laughs> new. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah, right. You know. Of course, okay. they could come out and say we created inflation by printing five trillion dollars. Yeah. yeah well, that's saying that. Have you seen though you know, that we old, flooded the streets with money? But ha, no, we don't want to do that. Have you seen that Elon Musk is talking about that big time about money creation being the problem with inflation? No wonder they don't like this sure. guy. You know, no wonder they yeah. don't like him, and they are all yeah. over him now. You know. Well, you know, he's in a very unusual position. Yeah, he's he's you know from a mind standpoint, he's he's, he's clearly brilliant. I don't think anybody would no, argue no, otherwise. Yeah, he's, he's, you know his uh, technology is spectacular. The the things he's been able to create, literally create. I mean, have been genius to say the least. He has been innovative in a number of aspects. But now that he has accumulated so much money that he can be independent of thought, yeah, and not Watch concerned out. with who he aligns himself with. Watch out. Well, that's a dangerous person to have. <laughs> that's why they don't like you him. know. I, <laughs> Uh, I saw a documentary recently on uh, on the life of, of George Carlin, and you know I always remember some of his comedic quirks. Yeah. But you know he used to quip a lot about how government doesn't like educated public. You know they don't want a populace that knows things. No, 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 no. And you know he talked about that extensively and found a way to do it in a humorous vent. But his point was quite clear: guys like Musk are dangerous to the government because. He doesn't need them. He doesn't care. Yeah. He can do whatever the hell he wants. So he has no fear of recourse. If he says something that aggravates somebody, he's okay with that. You know, he's got billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. And look, the man, you know, he's shooting satellites into space. And, you know, he's helping the government launch satellites up to the International Space Station. He's doing things that were almost unheard of technologically just a decade or so ago and proving that individual people can do lots of things so yeah i find it really interesting when he goes off on a rant and <laughs> you know he also seems to be a kind of guy who thinks about a lot of stuff from time to time yeah, he does yeah you know yeah. like something gets his mind and he goes goes ahead and you know tweets it out and there it is you know yeah. but people pay attention because it's not just some random thought coming from some random guy it's coming from a guy who's you know, proven himself technologically and amassed a fortune of wealth that, you know, again, the advantage he has 
what a position to be in, right? Not kind to have fun. to yeah, kind of fun. worry about the consequences of who you piss off. <laughs> you can say <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. I saw a tweet this morning where he's, he's calling everybody in to work. He said, working from home is no longer not going to happen to Tesla. If you want to work at Tesla, you show up 40 hours a week, baby. And How about yeah, that? Yeah, he, so he's trying to try to start a new trend there because a lot of these companies want to just continue oh you can just stay at home it'd be, it'd be fine yeah. just stay home yes. sure they found it's a lot cheaper yeah but uh, he's not having that either okay D- hey, just for the record so if i'll help my geek as we're trying to fix this have you hear you hear me any better now uh, about the same about the same no change huh. interesting well we'll figure it out okay kiddo thanks a lot and uh, we'll see you next month let me know about the uh, you know the special thing if you run out of those and just shoot me an email and I'll not talk about Will it. Will do. Okay. You take care of yourself, Fred Dashevsky, The Real World of Money, and it is, here's your company. Let's let's put up your little slide. I almost forgot your slide. Here. Hey, there, there we are. Go. U.S. Coin Capital, 800-878-2646, 800-878-2646. Got a whole team up there that'll take care of you. They won't try to sell you. You don't like. You don't try to sell people like Ginzu knives for specials or anything like that, do you? Oh, Ginzu knives, <laughs> very sharp, very, very sharp Ginzu knives. <laughs> Fred, thanks but a lot. But wait, there's more. But, but but wait, there's more. And if you buy this, then there's more. Fred, thanks a lot. We'll we'll see you soon, brother. Take care of yourself. Be well, Patrick. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Good guy. Check it out. Uh, that that's that sounds like a great little special there, doesn't it? Man, oh man. Pre yeah, at St. Gardens. Uh, wow. Nineteen pre uh, pre nineteen thirty three. MS sixty five. Now, as he said, MS sixty five. That's like mint. And then five MS sixty five silver dollars, eighteen seventy eight to nineteen oh four. The whole deal like $4,100. So get your kids each one of those and that'd be something nice for them to have around the house, you know? All right, kids, we're going to take a little break and then in 15 minutes we're going to talk with Brandon Smith of Alt, um, Alt, Alt, uh, Alt, uh, whatever, altmarket.com, uh, Brandon Smith, and uh, he's got a real problem, kind of, sort of, with, um, he calls them the gun grabbers. And he said they're coming for your guns, and he's going to actually tell you what to what to buy <laughs> before they run out. I don't know. Uh, we'll do it. So uh, stay right there, and we'll see you in about fifteen minutes. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is One Radio Network dot com. <laughs> 